I'm Jim Hutchinson from The Fisherman Magazine, and you're on the road. With me this week, it's Sandy Hook, the Jersey Shore, with my special guest, Mike Wayne, of the American Sport Fishing Association. Fort Hancock in Sandy Hook. It's May 19th, 2023, and I bring that up because uh, on May 18th, we had Striper Quest here in the area, out of bars. We tagged 203 striped bass for gray fish tag research, all, all 203 getting the green streamer tag. And we also did a couple of mini pat devices. And I thought this was appropriate because a friend of mine's in town um, for the event. And I said, come on, let's, let's take a ride to Sandy Hook. It's beautiful out here. We're sitting out front of the Sea Grant advisory offices at Fort Hancock, looking out over uh, all of the barracks and the parade grounds, and I see one of the party boats drifting through, uh, looking for fluke today. It's just an absolutely gorgeous day. And, uh, and Mike Wayne, this is interesting here because if you think about the history of this particular part of New Jersey, going back a couple of hundred years, it was a defensive uh, port. You still have the old gunneries protecting the United States. And if you go back over 300 years ago, I could be looking out onto Raritan Bay right now and probably seeing British warships, uh, revolutionary area. You know, you had, the, you had the loyalists, those that were loyal to the crown and those that were patriots and we fought as brothers and sisters and, and we're only two weeks off of a big vote at the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission on striped bass and it seems like we're brother and sister fighting again, I think, a little bit. Mike, a quick intro. Mike Wayne is um, Atlantic Policy Director for the American Sport Fishing Association. If you read the June edition of the Fisherman Magazine, Mike and I did a big article together on the May 2nd, 2023 vote on striped bass. But Mike, before you came to the Industry Trade Association, you've got some You've got some skin in the game from the science and, and statistical. Tell, tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. So before I joined the American Sport Fishing Association almost five years ago, I previously worked for NOAA Fisheries in their headquarters office in the Sustainable Fisheries Division. And so in that role, I was looking at different data sets and doing analysis for NOAA, and prior to that, I was working for the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission, which is the regional management body that manages our migratory uh, species of fish, and striped bass is the probably the flagship perfect example of that. And in that role, I was fishery management plan coordinator. So we have management plans to manage these fisheries, helps us understand what we're supposed to do. <clears throat> through time and be responsive to the science and so my job was to collect that scientific information help package it deliver it to the managers work with the stakeholders to get their input on what the different management solutions would be to respond to whatever that scientific advice was and then ultimately implement those management chains by working with all the states um, to get that done so it was a really it really set me up for where I am now, and I, I love kind of reconnecting with that network as an advocate for the recreational fishing industry in my role at ASA. So ASMFC is a cooperative, uh, it's a compact. All the states get together. There's three representatives from each state. We, we all know that. It's been covered in the Fisherman Magazine. But typically, when the ASMFC comes up with um, big management decisions based on adhering to a fishery management plan, there's advance warning, there's a lot of public comment, there's a lot of different meetings, and usually it takes several months 
for a new regulation to come into play. On May 2nd, of course, the ASMFC, and more specifically, it was the Striped Bass Management Board made an emergency decision. So how do, how do I explain? How did this happen without the public comment, without the process? What exactly took place there? Yeah, so this, <clears throat> the as I said, the fishery management plans are used to help the stakeholders and the managers understand what are the goals and objectives for managing this important fishery and how do we get there. And so it really lays out a stakeholder-driven process through that FMP. And the stakeholders provide a lot of input to help craft that. I mean, if you remember, we just went through a draft Amendment 7 process that you covered in um, a lot of your issues. And ultimately, that process was looking at the goals and objectives of the plan, saying, what, what do we really value in this fishery? All the stakeholders involved were part of that process, providing input on <clears throat> how best to manage this resource. And so when that emergency action motion came up, it, it did. It caught people by surprise. I mean, <clears throat> there was discussions going on that the recent assessment looked at projections and saw that we were going to struggle to rebuild in the time frame that we needed to and so ultimately they used a, a, a small provision that is rarely used in the fishery management plan called emergency action because they felt as though if we do not start res responding to some of the issues that we're seeing we will likely not hit our 2029 rebuilding period but you know this was a really tough situation hutch because they wanted to be responsive to changing conditions in the fishery you know 2022 was banner for the entire striper coast but they they ultimately didn't have the time they felt to really engage the stakeholders through this process and so now we're dealing with those consequences and they're they're ugly in some yeah. scenarios and, and and that's you know that's something that the managers have to take very seriously because we all participated in that fmp planning process with the expectation that that the the stuff that was in there was going to be followed. And, and in a way we are by holding ourselves to the rebuilding period, but <clears throat> there really needs to be an opportunity for the public to comment on something so significant as this. And <clears throat> hopefully th over the next several weeks before that implemented change in early January, excuse me, July, uh, the stakeholders will get an opportunity to be heard on this because they certainly didn't get that opportunity but during the meeting. At this point, though, public comment isn't going to change. It's not going to change the decision. It wasn't. I had some questions from folks who said um, they said that, 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 that other states, that South Carolina and Florida participate. I said no, it wasn't the full ASMFC. It's the management board, and based on that striped bass management board, and it's the, the board is inclusive of people in the striped bass range. Exactly, from Maine to North Carolina is the current management unit for striped bass. And so all those states participate on the striped bass management board and make these decisions. And then like you're referencing, the broader ASMOC is all the states from Florida to Maine. So the management unit for striped bass is just along the range in which we see the striped bass fishery occurring. And to react,
to uh, an incredible situation. For example, it doesn't look like based on the outstanding striper bite we had on the coast in 2022 because the MRIP numbers, Marine Recreational Information Program, showed that we had a banner season. Because of that banner season, we have more removals. Because we have more removals, that means we have less of a 50% chance than of reaching the rebuild target by 2029. So that is why we have to have this emergency. We've never really had this in striped bass. We're used to it in fluke, summer flounder, black sea bass. Every year for a while, the, the regulations change. But we never saw that with striped bass until more recently. Um, explain to me states going down to the upper, to a lower upper slot. We went from... Here in New Jersey, less than 38 inches. Most of everybody else was 35 inches. Why 31 inches? Yeah, so Massachusetts was the state that brought the emergency action to the Striped Bass Management Board. And admittedly, Massachusetts has a scientific advantage because Gary Nelson, who is the lead stock assessment scientist, works for the state of Massachusetts Division of Marine Fisheries. And then Mike Armstrong, who leads the scientific arm of their division, he sits on the management board for the state of Massachusetts. So the, the scientific expertise between Mike Armstrong and Gary Nelson really represents um, <clears throat> The, the best understanding of the resource. So those guys went back and forth, ran projections and said, what what's coming for this longer term? And they saw that the strong 2015 year class, which is the year class that is, is one of the, the strongest left in the near term. We've had a lot of poor recruitment coming out of the Chesapeake Bay. So when Mike, and Gary looked at the data, they said, hey, if we, if we need to reduce removals, how could we do that quickly? What regulations would we put in place to accomplish that? And what would those regulations do to not only reduce overall mortality, but reduce it specifically on that strong 2015 year class? And the that 2015 year class, so when I say year class, I'm talking about baby striped bass born in 2015. And so that, that strong year class is now a, centered around 31 inches in size. And so... Um, <clears throat> so by dropping... So, t so the 2015 nursery was good. Chesapeake had a good... Across the board, we had a, a good year for recruitment of of baby fish in 2015. So 2015 year class is right there around that 31, 32 inch size, uh, you know, on, mm -hmm. on average. Mm -hmm. So the thought is we've got to protect them, move them to the protected overslot. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So let them escape harvest. Um, and so that dropping that 31, dropping that maximum size down to 31 inches is so that the fish over that 31 inches will be released. And that does come at a conservation savings, um, <clears throat> but it will also obviously increase the number of fish that are handled and released. Um, and that's something that I think the management board needs to take a look at once they are able to really look at, okay, what kind of impacts will this measure have? And they can do those evaluations 
um, even though they didn't they didn't do that publicly before the emergency action, they can do that now and try to help answer some of these questions. What will that do to the ratio of harvest versus dead discards? Because you know, as you drop that maximum size, there's going to be less fish harvested. That's the intent of that regulation. But what does that do to the number of releases? How does it increase the number of releases? We've got this 9% release mortality rate that's used to calculate those numbers. And so it will be interesting to see moving forward, Hutch, what is the, what is the breakdown in the overall overarching mortality between harvests and dead, discor dead discards? And how does, how, Will that ratio change given the emergency action to reduce harvest um, of that mortality equation? I, I think you bring up a good point because that's what maybe it alludes back to the, uh, the infighting, the, the striped bass revolution, right? You've, sometimes I think we have a couple of different sides and there are a lot of folks who enjoy striper fishing. They will never keep a striped bass, just the catch and release set. And then you have some folks, uh, and, and I see them all the time, it's, it's not the extreme where they want to kill everything, but there's some folks who want to just go up with their kids, take a striped stripe bass home for dinner, and usually when they get their limit, they, they go. They're not continuing to catch and release striped bass. But when we look at the decision here, or, or the management, that whole paradigm, it's mm -hmm. all about total removals, right? But when you talk about the total removals in the recreational community, it involves two elements of harvest. Of, of dead fish of removals yeah exactly so it's uh dead discards which is again that nine percent so if, if you catch a fish and release it it's an assumed nine percent mortality rate from that interaction we know it's higher in some areas we know it's lower in some areas but that's overall the best estimate that we have in some recent science out of massachusetts is confirming that amount um <clears throat> but yeah the other side of so it's harvest, the removals is harvest and dead discards. And so <clears throat> it's all about controlling <clears throat> removals. And right now the managers have tools to control the harvest portion of that equation. There are not good tools to control the dead discards portion. You know, things like circle hooks, in the fishery, um, not using gaffs, things like that. You know, in theory, those should help fish survivability of when they're released, but they're, they're extremely difficult to quantify. Um, and remember, we're looking for quantifiable <laughs> reductions in total removals. And right now that is being um, specifically achieved through reductions in harvest but you you know but yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah, naturally go going to it's naturally going to increase the, where our discard rate should theoretically increase too because if we've taken a 31 32 inch fish the the eight-year-old fish out of the harvest equation it's still a good year class so we're still going to have a lot more catch and release so the mortality we do i, I i'm assuming that the asmfc and their technical folks have some more of that information that will be made available at some point yeah and <clears throat> we don't know exactly how this regulation is going to work the new maximum smaller maximum size limit um <clears throat> and they will try to evaluate that through the next stock assessment which will be upcoming later in 2023 Four, four, I think 20, it is. Yeah, 2024, sorry, 2024. And so um, 
ultimately what they'll do is they'll they'll try to see you know with this mid-year management change was there any signal that we could pick up in that assessment but remember fishery science is not perfect and uh it's going to be challenging to take what we call the terminal year of the assessment and rely on the data and the analysis picking up on that mid-year management change. So what I mean when I say that is typically the last year of a stock assessment is the most uncertain. And so <clears throat> the that uncertainty is something that the managers need to consider when they evaluate, okay, was this measure effective? Did it have the intended effects? And that's where I think they can start to really look at um, you know, what, what, what happened to harvest from this regulation and do we still, they can look and say, do we still see that 2015 year class showing up in the harvest and, or where is it in terms of releases? And so they, they really, my point is they've got the ability to try to drill down into some of this. This is their area of expertise. They're going to work on doing that. There are limitations of the data for them to do that perfectly, but they will use what they have, and hopefully that will lead to some better understanding about the dynamics between harvest and dead discards as it relates to the new emergency action lower slot. The interesting thing for me, that's one big component that, uh, you know, obviously I know the states want here in New Jersey, the New Jersey Marine Fisheries Council met the week after the decision and they didn't want to take an immediate vote. I know it's turned a lot of people off out of state. They're like, why didn't New Jersey react? Well, because New Jersey wanted to get some more information. They wanted to get some more public input. The, the specific comment at one of the council meetings was uh, one of the council members, uh, Pat Donnelly, said, I don't want to do things the way the ASMFC did it. I want to get public comment. I want to go through the stakeholders here in New Jersey, get the Striped Bass Advisory Committee in New Jersey convened before we make a decision. And then hopefully they were hoping to get some more information from ASMFC as well. Um, that said, one thing that, that I find, and see if you can follow me on this one, we have talked about it, and we talked about it at length for the article in, in the June edition of the Fisherman Magazine. In the past, managers have made decisions to um, do something about a particular year class, protect a, a particular year class. So I understand the actions about protecting the 2015 year class, but on the opposite side, we now have a harvest that is directed towards the 16. 17 year class which are lower not as good mm -hmm. right but that three inch slot that we're looking at 28 29 30 to 31 right what ramifications are there in directing all the recreational harvest on a, a single year class or two year classes do you think that becomes a concern yeah and those i'm honestly it's a great question and the reason it it's a great question is because it clearly demonstrates the reason that there's a public process on this. It's to give stakeholders the opportunity to ask these types of questions. What is the impact of doing this emergency action to bring the slot down to 31 inches? What, what will that do to the other poor, poorer year classes that, that now that harvest is going to target? And so these are the types of questions that the stakeholders are able to ask through a public process when when that typical normal public prom, 
process exists, yeah. which it did not in this scenario. That's why so, I think people have a lot of questions and no answers, and it's that's what's I think a lot of people that I've talked to find frustrating. Yeah, and this look, these are the consequences of taking emergency action. And the board needs to take these concerns seriously. And, um, you know, the stakeholders are used to a public process on this. And so as as an industry advocate, I specifically attend these meetings to be able to comment on these types of actions. And so I see firsthand the value of providing that input and being able to ask questions before making such a consequential decision. Now, granted, they were clearly prioritizing the rebuilding, they were clearly prioritizing the resource, but can't we do that and also have a public process? The ASMFC is literally structured saying that we can do that. And so I really feel like there's opportunity for folks to be able to ask these questions and that's the public process and that's something that that can that's something that sh- should be able to occur now that we have some time to look at this but it's very clear that the board has indicated we want to move in this conservative direction but that still leaves a lot of questions unanswered Jim and that's that's frustrating I understand that that's frustrating where do we go next we're at a three inch size limit on striped bass right now we're trying to rebuild to a a target number of 2029 what of the 2023 year class or what of the 2024 year class also is dismal especially with the chesapeake is not it seems like the chesapeake is not producing the way it used to what happens next if this three inch size limit doesn't result in increased recruitment yeah so maybe it's theoretical i don't know but where where would we go next yeah this i mean the problem is as you know we can't control recruitment so this is really about meaning we can't control how many that year class strength how many baby striped bass are born annually and survive and there's no stock recruitment relationship here meaning just because you have a ton of adult spawning females does not mean you're going to get a a ton of baby striped bass from that it's just very environmentally driven and so weather water temperature water temperature rain rain, yep yep and you know striper the striper fishery really knows what conditions typically produce good spawning success and and recruitment but we just haven't had them we just haven't had them and so you know that's what massachusetts saw when they were running those projections in house they said look we've got a lot of poor recruitment coming and so um we unfortunately don't have the luxury of waiting but what what does that look like moving forward what will the regulations do to adjust fishing mortality and remember there the intent is to reduce harvest the amount of fish that are removed from the water. Like you said, anglers have a preference to take it home to feed their families. That all falls into the harvest category. And so <clears throat> the question moving forward is, if there aren't good tools to manage the dead discards, 
remember the circle hooks and stuff that those are we 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 talk about all the time there's a a heck of a surf casting community here at sandy hook and when we're up here fishing together we talk about all the time taking the barbs down we're we're doing a lot where folks are switching from the either taking the uh taking the actual barbs down on their trebles or swapping out the trebles for singles um we've been talking about bkk lone diablo hooks because we're trying to do all that the community is really trying to do a lot more uh, we, we talk about it in the fishermen all the time trying to reduce the amount of air exposure you get i tell people all the time when you're i mean this this fishery you saw it yesterday this yeah. fishery up here we're getting some jumbos and i tell people all the time those jumbo fish please keep your hands out of the gills put it on the lips brace that belly hold that up we need to take care of fish but, but where does it all where does it all go? You know, that's, I, I think a lot of folks say, are we, are we doing anything to, is all this effort that we're doing, is it going to reduce that mortality rate, that perceived mortality from nine to seven or six? Yeah, it's, it's really hard to measure that. I'm going to just be completely frank. I mean, theoretically, we are implementing, you know, the conservation ethic, like you said, pinching barbs, that sort of thing, because we know that that, in theory, helps survivability of striped bass. But it's very hard to measure and quantify that conservation savings. And um, I think the one part that has me worried is, um, you know, right now the managers are focused on addressing the harvest and that that's because that those are the tools that they have best to reduce the removals but at some point well we had a conversation last year where where the the commission was dealing with the possibility of two-week closures in each particular state you know at the height of your striper fishery you have to shut down all targeting of striped bass I mean, theoretically, is, is that what we're looking at next? I mean, that's why that's what scares me is that given the dynamics in the resource right now with the poor year classes longer term coming into the fishery, it's going to be really hard to rebuild back to this high target level. And we have in our fishery management plan, like I said, which was a stakeholder driven process, we have established that as the current goal. And so the dynamics at play here are going to continue to create management challenges for us to achieve that rebuilding target. And so the question becomes, at some point, do the managers consider more action to control the dead discard portion of the mortality? And I think you've seen some of the things that they considered. Like you said, no targeting closures during the heat of the fishery. Like that will be very hard for the industry um, because you're basically telling anglers to get off the water. And that is not something that we want to be supporting, of course, especially if we are able to um, avoid it. And so I think there's going to be a situation in which the managers are going to sit down and say, okay, if we want to rebuild to this really high level and we we've done We've taken a very concerted effort to control the, the harvest side of this equation. 
is there more opportunity to control the dead discards? What does that look like? Um, and, and how would it be accomplished? And I think that that's the part that, that has me worried. There's not great tools. I've been encouraging our industry to work on um, thinking creatively about what it looks like to, to better manage the dead discards because if we, if we don't do something, it, we will rely only on the harvest side of that equation to achieve our conservation goals. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure we can get there. I mean, as an association, we'll be advocating to, as, as an industry association that represents our entire community, all of our anglers, whether you're an angler that prefers to take a fish home to feed your family, or whether you're an angler that prefers to catch and release all of your stripers, looks at or whether you're in between, right. or, you're, or whether you're in between, that's the entire spectrum right there. That is our industry, that is who we represent, and our tackle manufacturers produce equipment for those individuals. And so we are going to say, we think there's opportunity to manage this resource for all of our community, and therefore, what does that look like if we want to have a level of harvest that's sustainable over time? How do we address total removals in the dead discards to get there? And that is where all the question marks are right now, Jim. I, I equate this all the time to the, um, the debates in this country, Republican versus Democrat. People are shouting over each other. And I think that you're in a unique position or an unenviable position of trying to bring everybody to the table. And we've got to bring the left, we've got to bring the right, we've got to bring the center. And we've got to get all these people together to, to figure out exactly what we want out of the striped bass fishery. That's and that's the fishery management plan. That's the goals and objectives. That's my point. It's like that's where all of that lives. And so these conversations are going to continue to happen. And um, I'm look, look at where we are. Look, New Jersey was the one dissenting vote on emergency action, and here I am, listening to the New Jersey constituents, trying to figure out from you guys, what can we do to address some of these challenges, Hutch? And you know, the process could have been way better on this, and we're trying to figure out, come together, put our heads together, what are the solutions? That's the way we operate as an industry association. We go straight into it, head on. How do we address these challenges? How can our industry come together and address the challenges? That's why you see a lot of these manu tackle manufacturers switching from trebles to single hooks voluntarily they understand the need for trying to address the, the release mortality aspect of this and <clears throat> it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting future for striped bass because these these challenges are here to stay mike i'm going to throw a term at you it's a word it's an acronym it's boffs big old fat beacon female fish um, looking out here on a raritan bay we have this incredible bite that starts in march april jumbo fish sagging bellies heading up the hudson river to spawn we've really i think as a community have done the best we possibly can to promote safe healthy catch and release and a lot of the reason for that is because of these big old fat fecan female fish you've seen it firsthand you saw it at striper quest yesterday um i think on on our boat so i mentioned this at the beginning we tagged 203 striped bass on may 18th 2023 mike fished with me aboard uh, dave glassberg's critter catcher 
And we tagged 17 fish. Not one of them was under 40 inches. We also deployed um, a wildlife computer's mini-pat device in one of uh, those fish that will gather light temperature depth data inside this tag for the next five months. You can get more information on the Northeast Striped Bass Study at thefisherman.com. Another boat, Chuck Manny aboard his Timon, they also deployed a mini-pat device in a 42-inch striped bass. But they had four 50-pound stripers. Uh, one particular guy had three 50s himself. My boss, Mike Caruso, had a 50-pounder, which I'm never going to hear the end of. <laughs> you, uh, you joined us uh, for an incredible bite back in November here at the Jersey Shore, and then you experienced what you did on Thursday. What's your take about this particular fishery in the New York bite, New Jersey Shore, and, and, and the surrounding areas yeah no this it's an incredible fishery here and you know when i was here in november hut you remember i was just couldn't wait to get back so i'm happy to be back here and got the opportunity to fish with a bunch of industry members yesterday and you know this is really about like we said finding solutions um through these management challenges and the you know the charter boats that were that participated yesterday listening to those captains hear what they have to say about the fishery here in new jersey um you know the access to the resource is incredible you know we're out here on sandy hook there's shore access there's boating access there's headboat access so we were just really trying to put our heads together with the community use this gray fish research tagging effort as a as a way to to pull us all together. And remember, the charter boats are are selling to our, our entire community as well. And there are anglers that prefer to take a fish home and they do that by taking a charter to do it. And so if harvest continues to get constrained, what are those charters gonna do? How will they sell trips? And so I, as an association, we're trying to think about that. How do we help our industry through these challenges? And so, you know, it was great to see, you know, Chris Bishop from Missouri yesterday and Justin Poe from Penn and um, <clears throat> and Chris from American Fishing Wire. American uh, Fishing Wire. Well, we had we had uh, Mike Shields from AFW Sorry, Shields, and his crew, yep. crew, and we had Jerry from uh, from Seagar. Um, we had, you know, look, we had people from all over. And we have some great support here from the community for this uh, event with Gray Fish Tag Research, um, uh, Captain Wags on Fin Chasers. I mentioned uh, Dave Glassberg and, and Chuck Manny, but we had other other charter boats participating uh, in this event. Uh, Frank from uh, from um, uh, the other Frank Frank Crescitelli. I, I had some time to talk, and I, and you did as well yesterday, because you just mentioned it. It's very important to me. Fletcher Chase, Captain Fletcher, runs uh, Two River Charters here out of the Highlands, and uh, he participated yesterday. But we had a conversation uh, at the captain's meeting on Wednesday night, and and Fletcher really kind of summarized it pretty well for me. Fletcher has some clients who come, and you know they're they're kind of business folks who come in, and they don't necessarily want to bring a couple of fish home. They just want to have some fun catch and release, and, and Fletcher does a great job with the healthy release of those fish. But he does have a customer base. A lot of folks come in from Pennsylvania who can only go fishing two, three, four times a year. Not like you know, I live at the Jersey Shore. I'm fishing as much as I can, but three or four times a year, somebody comes in from Pennsylvania. They do want to take a couple of fish home. 
and that's they're not doing a major look they're not enjoying a catch and release fishery every single day they're coming into town they want to enjoy the fishery they want to enjoy the environment but they do want to take a couple of fish home so yeah it was it was good to get an opportunity to talk directly with the captains and and again like the questions i was asking them is you know what how has this fishery been for you how many trips do you sell in a season how do you think you could market a fish tagging trip in lieu of fish harvest for example well or or a combination where that's that's it that's the combination because i think the one thing when we went to the slot fish in 2020 right i think that's the year it was and a lot of folks said oh the new jersey charter float uh, charter boat fleet they're going to go uh, bankrupt because they kill all the fish but gray fish tag research is when that's when we started working with them in 2019 and it's an industry model uh, they want to get these green streamer tags over to our industry, our for hire folks in New Jersey. So uh, what was happening, what we found immediately is like a guy like Fletcher. He, he goes out and he puts a, a Pennsylvania father and son into a 40-pound striper. And instead of killing that fish, and I'm not picking on Pennsylvania. You know my, my friends in Pennsylvania. But I'm just saying people come from, come from out of the area. And instead of killing that 40, Fletcher said, no, wait a minute. I'm going to connect your son to that fish forever and we're going to put this gray fish tag research streamer tag in that fish son names it after his mom they watch that fish kick strong and then when that return comes that son is going to be connected to that fish forever and i think that was that was a really key component of getting through that and that's a powerful message and that's one that the industry clearly showed up to support yesterday and um it's it's going to take us working together and so it's important to be having these conversations directly with the folks that will be impacted the most and that's why i'm here frankly that is why i'm here and it's great to be able to connect with our industry to do that um because we have to work together to get to the to where we want to get to and so <clears throat> yeah no it's great to hear directly from the charter boat captains i was really impressed with how conservation minded they were and they understand the dynamics better than most i think one of the things that um you know that that trips me up sometimes is i'm like listening to these individuals and i'm saying wow these perspectives they need to be heard more and so you know that's i view that as part of my role can i can i come to these important areas of our fishery as an industry policy advocate understand your fishery better understand the challenges that your charter boat is uh going charter boats are going through and and find ways to help address those to keep them profitable and keep them fishing and keep them on the water with the rest of us so i mean this is not this is not just about the charter boats of course this is all anglers the idea that um we have the opportunity to give back to the resource participate in these tagging efforts to really recognize the value of letting that fish go 
having that personal connection and getting that return, that whole cycle, which uh, you've heard me tell that story before. Like that's literally why it is literally why I'm sitting here today is because I caught that tag stripe bass when I was in high school. And here we are so many, I won't tell you how many <laughs> years later, um, you know, talking about the same thing. And look, that's really what this is about is like that connection, that connectivity, that story that everybody has on stripe bass start somewhere and we're trying to create those stories through these tagging efforts and that's really important given the the, the state of the resource sure. right now and the state of the fishery with that resource because you know we've got widespread fish availability right now hutch we've got people being able to access the resource that's what we want to see that successful management if we rebuild the species and see that abundance grow that is the management we're looking for and so why 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 try to just come in and stifle it no come in talk through with the people find out how can we all work together to get past this because there is such a broad spectrum of anglers out there and we have to involve everybody in the solution. I think that really kind of, uh, it's a great way of summarizing our, our discussion today because we said it before, we've got to bring everybody together. And I think you're doing a, a fantastic job in that in kind of marshalling all the different comments coming through helping with the ASMFC it's great for the ASA to get involved in this stuff but I think that you mentioned it before and I hear this a lot there's some folks who sometimes yell and scream at those all those charter boat captains oh they just want to do this or the party boat captain I was like would you forget about who's at the helm and think about the customers because they're individual anglers um, and I always saw the head boats who carry multiple passengers it's just a bus they're a mass transit you know, you're at home, you're, you're able to walk, you know, to work, you're able to walk to the fishery. You have your own car, you have your own boat. But for, for a lot of folks in uh, inner cities, uh, in other areas, the head boat is the only way, it's that bus to get out there to the grounds. And if you graduate from the bus, you then start taking an Uber or a taxi, and then you're on a charter boat. But it's not the captains. The captains are serving a customer base, and the customer base is feeding this stuff up, and I hear it. You know, a lot of times that I hear it, and that's why I really I like to hear what you're saying, because I think the major thing is we've all got to start coming together and having a more rational discussion about what we expect out of the fishery and what we expect for the future. You heard the background before where Mike and I are speaking outside of uh, Sea Grant. Uh, there are a lot of kids programs. You could hear kids talking, you know, chattering and laughing. It's a, it's a third. It's a Friday special events, kids field trip to come to the NOAA lab around the corner or come to Sea Grant. That's what we're doing for the fishery in the future, but we can't forget about those kids fishing today too. And, uh, and, and I know a lot of young, young, <laughs> young anglers right now who are also trying to get their hands around this or get their heads around this because we often talk about the future of the fishing community, yet I've got young anglers right now fish all the time and they don't get what's going on. Yeah. So. And that's why I, I love that you guys are doing these podcasts, interviews to try to help break this down and help our, under, our community better understand where we're headed, what challenges exist between there, where we are now and where we're going, and how do we 
come together on those challenges and that's where asa loves to be i mean that's what i feel like that's the value we provide to our industry is working directly with the managers to help shepherd the voice of our community in the the pop policy process and that's why it's so important that we really protect that public process because it gives the opportunity to work through those solu solutions together instead of it just being jammed down people's um, throats. And so <clears throat> that's where we plan to, to go with this. And the, the grayfish tagging event is getting bigger every year. And that's what we want. You know, that's how, that's how this is going to spread across the community here. And the more participants in that process, the more people realize that there's opportunity here that is untapped and we need to continue to grow that. Um, <clears throat> and so that's, <clears throat> so that's a really good uh, opportunity for everyone involved yesterday, and I was I'm really appreciative to be a part of that. Well, you'll be back here again in May of 2024 when we do it again, and hopefully you'll come back in the fall when we have our run. And uh, folks, you can find out more about striped bass. Mike was fantastic to help with the article that you'll find at the Fisherman Magazine about the ASMFC decision, but uh, I'm gonna let you go because you gotta fly back down south and uh, we'll be talking again soon, I'm sure. Of course, Jim, thanks for having me on. Great time to be here and talk through all this.